Genesis chapter 25 in your Bibles. And we're going to read from verse 29 down through verse 34. I, um, uh, on Wednesday evenings, I was going, rather together, we were going through the book of Hebrews and going character by character through Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith instead of the Hall of Fame. There's different characters in the Bible who are known for their faith walk that are recorded in Scripture. And so we got to the character of Jacob. And in my studying of Jacob several months ago, uh, I, I jotted down some notes about his brother Esau. And going through Hebrews 11, the purpose of that passage is not to talk about Esau. But in studying the life of Jacob, you can't help but see Esau and the mistakes he made. And so I jotted down some notes about Esau, and I, I tucked those away for a later date where I could preach. And today's that day where we're going to look at the life of Esau. And we're going to see that Esau made some very rash decisions that deeply and greatly hurt him and hurt his children, even his future generations to come. And we're going to look at the bad choices he made today and talk, and talk about them so that those of you here won't repeat those uh, mistakes. If you are here today and you're young, when I say young, we'll say 25 and down, I really hope you'll sit up and listen uh, because if you'll take notes and you'll follow what I preach today, it could save you from a life of headache and hurt. Uh, I really hope that you'll listen. And others of you in here, as I preach this sermon, you may feel some regrets about decisions you made in your youth. And to you, I would say, pray along with David. David said, remember not the sins of my youth. We have a song that was just saying about how God forgives us, how His grace is real. And we need to bask in that grace. But while God's grace is real, and while it's available for all, we should not abuse it or take advantage of it. We need to understand that when we abuse that grace, there, is, there are consequences for them. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 25, verse 29 down through verse number 34, we'll read every other verse out loud together. I'll begin in 29, and then we'll read, we'll read as a congregation together, beginning in verse 30, and then continue that pattern down to the end of the chapter. Verse 29 says, And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Together, verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Understanding the Power of Choice. God has given all of us a free will where we can make our own choices. And when we make choices, uh, we are sowing seeds by those choices. Eventually, those seeds turn into a harvest. And the choices we make today deeply and greatly can impact the rest of our lives and the lives of others. We need to understand the power of those choices, and we'll try to do so today by looking at the life of Esau. Let's pray. Lord, help us to sit up, take note, and listen. And Lord, that uh, for the youth in the room today, they'll listen intently to what's being preached. They'll understand the message. Uh, Lord, they'll make every commitment within their heart, uh, Lord, to do what's right. And then for all of us today, Lord, we all have choices that land in front of us each and every day. And Lord, we need to make choices 
beginning now, that will lead to a prosperous future. Lord, lead to a blessed future. Lead to a future that has your hand of endorsement all over it. And so, Lord, uh, help guide my words and thoughts. Help me to speak with clarity of mind and speech. And, Lord, we pray that uh, your spirit would be dripping off the message. And then, Lord, for the listeners, you would, uh, Lord, you would um, look at their hearts and help them to have a heart that's ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, for those of you that are not familiar with this biblical story, I'm going to recap it as quickly as I can. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, and then uh, that will set the stage for the message. Um, uh, back in Genesis chapter 12, God came to a man named Abram, who had a wife named Sarai, and he called Abram and Sarai to leave where they lived. And God said, Abram, you love me, you fear me, I'm going to lead you to a land of promise, and I'm going to make of you and Sarai a great nation. God, through a long set of trials, would give, uh, change their names from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. God would give Abraham and Sarah in their old age a young uh, man named Isaac, a, a son named Isaac. And Isaac would take a wife named Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca would go 20 to 25 years uh, without being able to have a baby. And then God would give uh, Rebecca twins in her womb. And uh, they, these were wrestling with each other. And they were wrestling so hard. Obviously, they didn't have sonograms back then that Rebecca said, Lord, what is going on inside of me? This is unusual. And God said, you have two nations at war within you. And so there was a boxing match going on in the womb uh, for nine months. And they were probably fighting even before they had hands. They were just, you know, two embryos bump, bumping each other. And as they grew and, and, uh, and gestated, they fought more and more. Well, the day came uh, for her uh, labor and delivery, and Rebecca gave birth, and Esau was born first. Out the birth canal came Esau, and Jacob had hold of Esau's ankle. And so out came Esau, and there was no two- or three-minute delay. He came right literally on the heels of his brother, and Jacob was born. And these two Two brothers, you talk about sibling rivalry, they were at war with each other. They would wrestle with each other. They would fight with each other. Uh, there was a, a nastiness between them. And Esau was a man of the field. He loved to hunt. He went, he went out uh, with his bow and his arrow. And he, he sought a, a, a wild game. Jacob was more an inside type boy. And he, he learned how to probably sew and wash dishes and cook. And uh, uh, you can imagine that Isaac, being a manly man, he loved Esau. And he was fa- uh, he, he showed fa- favor, uh, uh, favoritism toward Esau. And Rebecca loved Jacob and had a preferential treatment toward Jacob. And let me just throw this in here. This is not a parenting sermon by any stretch, but just real quick here. Mom and Dad, be really, really careful about playing favorites at home. In your heart, you may have one child you prefer over another. Never, ever, 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 never, ever show preference from one child to the other. You do your best to love both children evenly. Uh, uh, Dad, you may be more drawn to one boy than the other. Mom, you may be drawn to one daughter over the other. But love your children equally. Otherwise, you're going to end up with problems in your home the way this couple had problems in their home. And so uh, they had these two boys, and uh, these boys um, uh, were, were at odds with each other. Another part of the story is that in the Hebrew culture, in many cultures of the world, but in the Hebrew culture, there was something called the birthright. 
the firstborn son in a family. This was particular to the sons. And again, you need to understand this. I'm sure you do from a historical standpoint. The world has been male slanted uh, for most of its history. And really, just in the last hundred years in the Western culture, women have been empowered and given more rights. As we have followed the Word of God, women have found their way to being liberated. And, and much of the liberties that women have found have been found under biblical principles. But back then, there, that was not the case. The firstborn son in the family was given something called the birthright. Just by the very fact that he was born first, he was given this birthright. And what was a birthright? Well, birthright was the uh, when dad died, you became the ruler of the family. All the joined together property that family owned, you oversaw. And uh, you oversaw the, the wealth of the family. And if there were unmarried daughters in the family, it was your responsibility to try to help find them a husband. And, and, and back then, uh, they, they used a different uh, marriage system than we use today. And so um, uh, there was a lot of responsibility that came along with that. Along with the birthright, right before dad died, he would lay his hands on your head and he would pray a blessing on the one that had the birthright. And so in comes Esau from the field. Dad's getting older. In comes Esau from the field and he's been out hunting two, three, four days. We don't know how long he's been hunting a long time. He's very hungry. And Jacob is standing in the kitchen as a soft man that he is and he is stirring a bowl of chili. The Bible says it was red uh, uh, soup with lentils in it. I call that chili. He's stirring a bowl of chili and um, in comes his brother Esau from the field and he is famished. He is starving, and he says to his brother, give me some of that chili. And Esau, or rather Jacob, being an opportunist, he looked at his brother and he said, I'll tell you what, if you will give me your birthright, I will give you the chili. Now, how many think that's a bad deal for Esau? It's a bad deal, right? Esau says, well, if I die of hunger, what good's the birthright do me anyway? He says, you can have the birthright, give me the chili. What a foolish decision. Esau could have very easily walked into where dad was and said, Dad, Jacob won't give me a bowl of chili. Right? And dad would have said, Jacob, give him the chili. But he was too rash to do that. He parted with his birthright. And he got the chili. They got a little bit older, and dad's approaching death. Dad's now blind. And Jacob walks in and pretends as though he's Esau and deceives his blind father into laying his hand on his head. And the blessing is also stolen from Esau and given to Jacob. More about that in a little bit. Esau made some poor choices that would not only affect his life, would affect the life of future generations. In fact, Esau would be involved in many marriages and have many children. And from Esau would become a nation, the nation of Edom, the Edomites. I believe it's the book of Obadiah. I might have the wrong book. I believe it's the book of Obadiah uh, that prophesies against the Edomites. You see, the Israelites, many, many years later, thousands of years later even, would be captured by the Babylonians and taken into bondage. And as they're being captured and carried out, the Edomites lived on a mountain nearby. They would mock and make fun of the Israelites and then go in and pillage Jerusalem. And God sent a prophet to tell the Edomites, because you did that, I'm going to destroy you. And sure enough, the Edomites were wiped off the planet. Why? Because they were following in the same pattern of behavior as their father, their patriarch that started their nation 
thousands of years earlier. We need to understand this morning that the choices we make today have great impact on our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. The choices we make today have great impact on who we become on our own life in our own uh, lifetime. I'll share an illustration with you if I could by way of introduction, and then I'm going to lay out for you Esau's poor choices. On a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house. In a hurry to dive into the cold water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind shoes and socks. He, he, he stripped his shirt off, and then he flew into the water, not realizing that as he swam toward the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming toward the shore. His mother, standing at the kitchen window, looked out and saw the oncoming uh, collision between her son and the alligator. And so she ran out the door frantically, yelling to her son uh, uh, to, to, to turn around and, and to come back. And her son, hearing his mother's voice, became alarmed and immediately made a U-turn to swim back to his mother. But it was too late. Just as he reached his mother... The alligator reached him. From the dock, the mother grabbed her little boy by the arms, just as, as the alligator snatched the boy's legs. That began an incredible tug-of-war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mother was far too passionate to give up and let go. A farmer happened to be driving by and heard the screams of the mother and raced from his truck, took aim and shot and killed the alligator. Remarkably, after weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy survived. His legs were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of that animal. And on his arms were deep grooves, deep scratches, deep scars, where his mother's fingernails had dug into his flesh in her effort to hang on to the son who she loved. The newspaper reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked if he would show him his scars. The boy lifted up his pant legs and then, with obvious pride, uh, pride rather, he said to the reporter, he said, but look at my arms. I have great scars on my arms too. I have them because my mom wouldn't let go. You know, instead of getting upset at those who try to help you do right and pull you away from the world and pull you away from the lust of your flesh and try to pull you away from the grasps of Satan, instead of becoming angry at them for playing tug-of-war over your soul, over your life, over your behavior, you should be thankful that they love you enough to not let go. To not let go. This morning, I'm going to preach hard. This morning, I'm going to preach truth. This morning, I'm going to preach a sermon that's more a prophecy, not prophecy in the sense of foretelling, but a, a prophetic type sermon that I'm going to preach, herald forth the Word of God. And I'm going to do so in a way to try to warn our youth and even some of you adults from making poor choices that would ruin your life. The flesh, the world, and the devil has you in its grasp. Pastor Lejeune is trying to grab hold of your arms and pull you away from choices that will greatly hurt you. We're going to look at the life of Esau this morning. We're going to see four choices that Esau made that led to his demise. And we're going to look at those in relation to how we live in today's culture. Point number one, choice number one, Esau chose the present 
over the future. He chose the present over the future. Look with me at Genesis chapter number 25 again. And look back at verse number 27. When we began in 29 earlier, let's back up a couple verses. The Bible says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Let's pause there. A man of the field. You know what that means? That means he lived to be in the field. He lived to hunt. He lived to be in the wide open field with his bow and arrow where he could shoot at animals. He could take them down. He, he lived to hunt. And I, I've known many a men, especially many of young men, who pick a hobby and they fall in love with it. And they fall in love with it to a place where it is just way out of bounds. It's way out of perspective. It's skewed uh, uh, to where it's way more prioritized uh, than it really ought to be. Whether it's hunting or fishing or sports uh, or or anything that can get you out of balance. You know what Esau was? Esau was consumed with having fun. Esau was consumed with a hobby. Esau was consumed with doing things that did not lead to preparing himself in order to be the patriarch, in order to take the reins from dad and lead the family, which he was supposed to do. He was too busy with shooting at animals, then uh, to busy himself with preparing himself to be the leader that God had called him to be by nature of being the firstborn and the birthright. Back in verse 27, look there, it says, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau. Here's that favoritism, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, and with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Red pottage, Edom. The word Edom means red. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what shall it prof- What shall this birthright so do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Look at verse 34 with me. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Boy, I've already asked you the question, was this a good deal for Esau? And the answer is obviously no. Esau took what was present and forfeited what was future. Esau took the chili and bread in front of him in order to satisfy a hungry stomach, which was a small win, and he gave up his future. He gave up the opportunity uh, to be uh, the leader. By the way, Jacob would later have his name changed to Israel. Anybody heard the name Israel before? Israel would become Jacob or Israel would become the leader of the, would become the leader of the people who would end up becoming the Israelites or the nation of Israel. How many of you think that Esau probably got the short end of the stick here by taking the chili instead of being able to be the leader of God's chosen people and be named after God's chosen people? You know, I see people make these foolish mistakes all the time. They choose what is present. They take what's here now. They seek instant gratification, even if it means losing uh, something far better down the road in the future. There was a famous preacher of yesteryear. He's the man that started Bob Jones University uh, down in the Carolinas. Here's what he said. He said, don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Don't 
sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. You know, there's some frills, there's some joys that you can get right now that will end up costing you something that you will never be able to get back. You be very careful, young people, about the choices that you make. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about purity. Those of you in the room that are young, if you still have your chastity, you still have your virginity, you're still pure in that way, please, please, please listen to what I'm about to say. Once you give that up, you will never be able to give it back. God created the relationship between a man and a woman, the physical relationship between a man and a woman. It's God who created it, and He put it for inside the bonds of marriage and only for the bonds of marriage. I believe this strongly. I'm very opinionated on this and I believe my opinion is strongly backed up the Bible. But if we could take uh, sexuality and put it back inside of marriage, 90% of the Western culture, 90% of America's problems would go away immediately. they just go away. Most of the problems we have today is because people want to satisfy the impulse of their flesh. And Satan has done everything he can to take sexuality and sell it to youth and say, you have to have it, and you have to have it right now. And God says, no, you don't have to have it right now. It's something that's meant for marriage. It's something that God created for marriage. It's something that belongs in marriage. It's something that's to be left inside of marriage. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Don't walk up to the line with it. Don't mess with it. If you're married, don't get involved in extramarital affairs. Uh, You keep your heart pure. You keep your life pure. Because once you give up that purity, you'll never be able to give it back. There was a little girl who um, went to a high school. And she, had, in her youth group, had taken a chastity vow. She went to a public school. And as she got older in that public school, fewer and fewer girls in her class kept their purity, kept their virginity. She got to the 12th grade and she was the only girl in her class who had not been with a man. The girls loved to give her a hard time about it. In fact, every Monday they'd come in and they would ask each other, did you score last weekend? Did you score last weekend? And and, 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 and they would ask her on purpose every, every Monday, did you score last weekend? They would razz her about it. They'd give her a hard time about it. And she would say, well, no, I'm keeping myself for my husband. I'm keeping myself for my husband. They would mock her. They pick on her. One day in the locker room, they uh, cornered her, and they were really, really, really giving her a hard time. And this young lady had maintained a meek and quiet spirit, had kept to herself, had avoided confrontation with these mean and nasty girls who had ganged up on her. But this day, they had just pushed things a little too far. And finally, she stood up for herself. And she stood up, and she put her finger back in the face of the group of girls that had cornered her there in that locker room. And she said, the reason why you give me a hard time is because any time I want to be like you, I can be. But you will never be able to be like me again. My friend, don't you sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Don't you sacrifice the future on the altar of now and now. Boy, uh, it may feel good to satisfy a fleshly impulse, but I promise you, you'll live to regret it. Please hear me what I'm saying to you this morning. As a pastor, I'm not just trying to preach an antiquated worldview that uh, society has moved upon and left behind. And I would say that while what I'm preaching today is not popular with the culture at large, can we just admit the culture at large doesn't have it right? 
Have you seen divorce rates? Have you seen the brokenness of homes? Have you seen how men and women seem to go from one partner to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, and there's no commitment anymore, and the home is falling apart, and the fabric of society is being ripped to shreds because home is not right, and Satan's at work, and he gets into the hearts of the youth, and he says, you can soil yourself uh, in this area, and no one will know about it, and you just go ahead and follow those fleshly impulses. You know, I tell young couples that are dating, that come visit me in my office early on in their dating relationship. I'm talking about young adult couples that are dating. I told them, I say, listen, you two put parameters around yourself and protect the purity of your relationship. You can get to know each other emotionally. You can get to know each other spiritually. You can get to know each other on every level, but you wait till you're married before you get to know each other physically. You wait. You wait. And let me tell you why you wait. Uh, I had an, well, before I get there, I had an uncle one time who said to me, he said, well, you know, you don't, you don't buy a car sight unseen. You don't buy the car without getting it and taking it for a test drive. You gotta take it around the block. You gotta kick the tires so you know what you're getting. What if you marry that girl you're dating back when I was dating Angela? What if you uh, uh, marry that girl you're dating and you get into a marriage and you find out she just can't take care of your, your needs, your, your, your male needs? And I said to him, I said, I'm not marrying her specifically for that. If she meets my spiritual needs and she meets my emotional needs and she meets my relational needs and she walks with God and we're like-minded mentally, guess what? Probably the rest of that's going to take care of itself. Boy, you be careful. I tell young couples when they're sitting in my office, I say, you two be pure with each other. To and through the wedding altar. You be pure each other. There's going to be a day, sir, where you're on a business trip. And if you skirted around the rules and you did that which was unbiblical and you violated Scripture prior to being married, boy, your wife knows that you don't respect the Word of God enough to behave yourself. Your husband knows, ma'am, your husband that you don't respect the Word of God enough to behave yourself, then that's going to plant seeds of doubt in your marriage in the future. You say, well, pastor, I've already blown it. What can I do? You can start being pure today. Start being pure today. Boy, Esau, what did he do? He said, man, my flesh wants that chili. Give me that chili now, and you can have the birthright down the road. That's in the future. I'll give you the future so I can have my, satis- my, my flesh satisfied now. Boy, I see um, adults do this, and really even youth do this with their finances. I can remember being a college student. I worked a job at a truck dock, and I was paid pretty good money back then. And I would get uh, overtime, and, and I would get a larger paycheck than normal, and I'd be able to pay all my bills. You know what's funny? I, even when I got a big paycheck or I got a small paycheck, somehow a couple of weeks down the road, I still didn't have any money. You know why? Because that bag of chips and that soda on the way to work, boy, they sure look good. And that, that, uh, on our way home, one way we could go home, there was a Burger King that sold 99-cent Whoppers. And man, 11 o'clock at night when you're a 22-year-old man, that Whopper, after you've been working eight hours, that Whopper looks really good. And you know what? We would nickel and dime our money away. Why? We were getting the now, and we were sacrificing the, the savings of the future. How many of you have had to learn the hard way that you can't just nickel and dime your money away? Amen? It's really easy to do, isn't it? Esau chose, Esau chose the, the immediate... Esau chose, let's see here, how did I word it? Esau chose the present over the future. Let's look at the second choice Esau made. Esau chose the tangible over the intangible. He chose the tangible over the intangible. Look at me at verse number 31. Genesis chapter 25. The Bible says, And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. 
sell me this day thy birthright. Chili is a tangible object that gets placed down in front of you. The birthright is a concept. You all with me this morning? The birthright is intangible. The bowl of chili is tangible. The bowl of chili is right here, right now. The birthright is down the road. You know that uh, having a guy-girl relationship where you're together and you're satisfying each other's fleshly impulses, that's tangible. The idea of purity is an intangible. Can I tell you that the intangible is far more valuable than the tangible? And as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has called us to choose the intangible things over the tangible. Let me give you some other examples this morning. You know, you're at work. And they put up a sign-up sheet for overtime. And you can work overtime on Sunday and make double or triple pay. Or you can say no to the overtime and you can go to church. You know, the overtime is a tangible paycheck in your hand. Going to church brings about an intangible spiritual growth that you don't necessarily hold in your hand. But I have watched families that choose the overtime, if you will. And I've watched them spiritually tank because they value the tangible over the intangible. You know, um, when you're climbing the corporate ladder at work and you're getting promotions and, and, and you're getting more responsibility and you're going from an hourly position to a salary position to a managerial position uh, to an executive position and you're climbing that ladder, boy, that's a tangible thing you can hold in your hand. And listen, if that opportunity presents itself and you can do it in honest conscience, then go for it. But my friend, what I see a lot of people do is they take these things on and what ends up happening is their family gets pushed to the side. You know... More money is tangible. That promotion at work is tangible. But what isn't tangible is the value you have in relationships. I have seen them. I have met a lot of poor people who are very happy. I've met a lot of poor people who are relationally rich. They've got great relationships. And because they have great relationships, you know what they have? They have wealth. Oh, not dollars and cents. Not a large home. Not a fancy car. But they have wealth because they're relationally rich. Now, I'm not here to preach against the rich. Listen, I live in a nice home. I drive a nice vehicle. I try and wear nice clothes. And uh, I have nice things in life. There's nothing wrong with that. But where it can become wrong is when you place those things ahead of family. You place the tangible... Over the intangible. How about it this morning, Christian? Are you, are you making choices that lead to what you can have now? Boy, Esau said, I would rather have, I would rather have the, the buck in my sights. I would rather shoot the buck than have the birthright. Boy, I, I think as Christians, we need to search our heart. We need to do some inventory. And see where we are. Number, uh, choice number three. Esau chose uh, the invaluable over the valuable. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, over to um, Genesis chapter 27. And look with me at verse number 34. Look at Genesis chapter 27 and verse number 34. Now here we get uh, the story where Jacob goes in. So l- let me back up before we read the verse. 
Isaac's getting ready to die. Isaac's Jacob and Esau's dad. Okay, Isaac's getting ready to die. He's an old man. He's gone blind. He's lost his sight in his old age. And so he calls in um, Esau. Now, he knows that Jacob has the birthright. And to be honest, if Isaac's going to do what's intellectually fair, he should have called Jacob in and blessed him. Why? Because the one that had the birthright was supposed to be the one that got the blessing. And he knew that Esau had given that birthright to Jacob. And so, intellectually, what was honest would have been for Isaac to say, Jacob, you have the birthright, you come in here, I'll give you the blessing. But again, Isaac preferred Esau. So what did he say? He said, hey, hey Esau, go out in the field and get you a big big buck. And bring that thing in and clean it up and prepare it exactly the way I want it. And bring me that meal and let me eat to satisfy my flesh and then I will lay my hands on you, and I will bless you as the next patriarch of the family. So, Esau leaves. He gets his bow and his arrows. He heads out in the field to do some bow hunting. Rebecca is listening around the corner. This is Isaac's wife. And Rebecca goes to Jacob, and she says, Jacob, she said, do exactly what I say and don't question me. Go out in the field and get a goat, one of our goats, and bring him here. And I'm going to prepare him exactly the way your dad likes to eat. And you're going to go in and take this to your dad. And you're going to tell him you're Esau, so he will bless you. And he's thinking, oh, Mom, this will never work. I'm soft. I, I don't, I'm, I'm a soft man. My brother's a hairy man. I, I feel bad for you women that married hairy husbands. Amen? I guess he can keep you warm in the winter. I, I, that's I, it's all, all you can say. I have never seen a man as hairy as Esau was. The scriptures tell us that as this goat was being cleaned, that Rebecca took the goat's fur and, and secured it to Jacob's arms and put it on the back of his neck. And when he brought the food in there, he said, Hi, Father, I'm Esau. Remember, now remember his dad's blind. He said, Hi, Father, I'm Esau. I brought you your food so you could eat. He said, you already got a buck that fast? You already shot a deer that fast? He said, yeah, uh, God brought it out in front of me because this is the Lord's will. He's lying the whole time. And his dad says, well, we'll, we'll bring it here. Uh, and he says, boy, you, you have the voice of Jacob. Are you sure you're Esau? He said, oh, yeah, I'm Esau. He said, come here, let me feel you. So he comes close, and the dad touches him. And he goes, wow, yeah. He touches that goat's hair. He goes, yeah, you know what? You, you, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. Wow, that's one hairy man. So he eats the meal and he lays his hands on him and he blesses him. Well, in, the, in from the field comes Esau. Jacob just finished. In from the field comes Esau, that food. Dad says, I'm sorry. Your brother stole the blessing. Look with me, if you would, at verse 34 of Genesis 27. I'm almost done here. Stay with me. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath tricked me. He hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. That's not quite a fair statement, Esau. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. 
And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and uh, with wine, uh, rather corn and wine, I have sustained him, and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? Look down at verse 41. And Esau hated Jacob, because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The day of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother. You know what's going on here? Esau blew it. Esau, years prior, gave up his birthright for a bowl of chili. And you know what? The blessing belonged to Jacob. He was not honest in how he got it, but the blessing belonged to Jacob. Jacob took the blessing that should have been his anyway. And Esau was not willing to look in the mirror and blame himself. You see, the decision to take the bowl of chili and satisfy the present and take the tangible, instead of doing what's better with the intangible future, now those chickens were coming home to roost. He chose what was invaluable back then, and he lost the opportunity to have what was valuable now. To the youth in here this morning, oh, please be careful. You're at a young point in your life, and I remember when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, I thought I knew everything. I really did. I'm not just saying that. I thought I knew everything. I had, thought I had the world figured out. And the older I get every day I wake up, I realize just a little bit more how dumb I really am, how little I actually know. Every day of my life, I become less and less of a know-it-all. And I ask God to continue to show me and humble me. But you make some of the most crucial decisions in your life at such a young age when you have so little wisdom. And I would say to you, turn to your parents. Turn to some spiritual authority and seek their advice. And don't you dare make the mistakes that Esau made. Or boy, you're going to get into your 40s and 50s and 60s and look back with regret. You say, well, pastor, that's where I'm at. I've made choices that have led to regret. What now? Look at choice number four. Esau chose rebellion over submission. Turn back with me, or rather turn over to Genesis chapter 28. And look at verse number six. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob... And sent him away to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, look here. Then went Esau unto Ishmael, or unto the daughters of Canaan, and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the, the, the sister of Nabajoth, to be his wife. He sat here and said, Okay, Dad. Okay, Mom. Those girls over there don't please you? That's exactly who I'm going to marry. You know, Esau had made bad choices, and Esau had to live with his choices. But instead of owning up to his own mistakes... Instead, he blamed his brother and he blamed his parents. And then he went and instead of repenting and making it right, he rebelled and repeated the same mistakes again. Boy, the question really comes down to this, Christian. Are you going to submit to what God wants? Or are you going to rebel and push away from what God wants? 
Listen, all of us in this room have made mistakes. All of us at some level have a skeleton in the closet or two that we don't want other people to know about. All of us. And I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty about what they've done. Boy, if you've messed up, God's grace is there. God's grace can be poured all over you. And and it's available to you. But to the youth in here, please understand that you can choose your sin. But you cannot choose the consequences of that sin. God makes that choice. Let's do everything we can to avoid those choices. The power, understanding the power of choice. Well, you have choices out in front of you. God has put a set of rules in His Bible for us to live by. Not because He hates us. Oh no, on the contrary. Because He loves us. They're parameters to protect us. And when we live by them, we find peace in our heart with God. Don't buck, don't push away, don't mock, don't make fun of. Embrace. And let's choose to do it God's way. I believe it's Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 that tells us that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he what? That shall he also reap. Well, let's sow the right seeds of choice. And let's reap the abundance of it. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, we look at Esau and we see a bevy of decisions he made that were wrong. We see that he chose to satisfy the impulses of the flesh. And Lord, give up something that would cost him greatly. And then instead of accepting his mistake, he just blamed others. And then when forced with that, he chose to rebel. Lord, help us not to make those same decisions. Lord, help us to dive into the Bible and better understand it and do our best to live it. Lord, help us always to put you first and others second. Seek to live for ourselves last.